Please stand clear of the doors. Por favor, manténganse alejado de las puertas. Welcome to Disney Space. Reimagining spaces in Walt Disney World, Disneyland, and spaces beyond. And now, your host, Jeff and Mark. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and wherever you are, thank you for listening to Disney Space, where we reimagine spaces. Mark? Hey, Jeff. Hey, Mark. Glad we could get together this evening. Yeah, I've been excited to, to start this, and this is our very first episode of Disney Space. The awards and, and all, everything about it, this is our first foray into... This is really traditional podcasting at this point. Who knows how many players there out there are there, but... Uh, I'm looking forward to having our discussions and, and letting people listen in on the stuff that you and I would be talking about to each other anyway. Yeah. And so really what we're going to, what we're going to be doing throughout these shows is we're going to be examining spaces that are owned by the Walt Disney Company throughout the world. And those can be Walt Disney World, Disneyland, any of the Asia parks, the Paris park, and it could also be any space, anything that they own, studios, cyberspace, anything. Or in the case of Tokyo Disney, whatever the Oriental Land yeah. Company owns. See, you got to right. flex that knowledge because there's already going to be people saying, hey, these guys don't know what they're talking about. Right. And so when you think about these spaces, everything within these spaces are provided and designed and used. So when you think of Disney World, it's full of parks and resorts and service buildings and parking lots and shopping places and things of those natures. And those are, those are what we're referring to as spaces. And in each one of those spaces, there are buildings and courtyards and sidewalks and all kinds of things that are used and designed specifically for, for purposes and stakeholders and telling stories and servicing things and everything. So what we're going to do is we're going to pick one of these spaces, say an attraction space, like a building, and we're going to reimagine it. And Disney does this all the time, and you're seeing it in Epcot today, all over Future World. Future World's not even Future World anymore. It's it's, it's going to be three different lands. Is it um, World Discovery? World... Uh, nature. Uh, world Nature. World, nature. world Celebration. And we don't even know where the boundaries are exactly yet, but you can see how this is done by Disney Imagineering all the time. And so I thought it would be fun for the fan base to do this, you and I, and sort of, some people call it armchair engineering. I don't like to call it armchair imagineering because I'm standing up. I don't have an armchair, <laughs> <laughs> but I just like, a, I like to perform a, a mind exercise to think what these spaces could be and we're, nobody's going to design them. Nobody's going to provide them, but wouldn't it be fun to just imagine something different? And so what we'll do week after week is we'll pick a new spot and then I will, one of us will express a, a concept idea of what that space could be alternatively. And then we'll have a discussion about that. And then the other host will counteract with a different concept and we'll talk about that. And then maybe we'll talk about a second round of concepts and then see, see what we think, see how fun it is. And we'll put some rules to these. For instance, um, the we could have some concepts that are very, very meager and simple. In other words, if you can imagine, um, I don't know, Carousel of Progress, 
Mm-hmm. A, a very simple change to, of that could be, let's vacuum the place three days a week instead of twice a week. And that's it. <laughs> but you could also <laughs> go very extreme and say, let's, let's wreck the whole building, go all the way down to the dirt and build something new, all new. So those, those are the extremes that we'll put around our rules. But maybe we may put some limitations here and there, depending on what the space is. So we'll visit actual world attractions. We'll visit um, show spaces maybe restaurants, maybe entire lands, maybe some empty spots on any of these properties. Maybe we'll go to um, cruise ships, islands, maybe maybe space itself, Disney space. Um, and that's what we'll try. So I think it'll Boy, be Boy, that'd fun. be a fun episode. We pitch, you know, what if in 100 years from now, the first extraplanetary Disney amusement center of some sort. Wouldn't it be crazy? If you remember Horizons, if you remember the mm-hmm. the um, the 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 spaceships that were that you would go through the atmosphere and look down into those big living spaces, it was. If you've ever seen the movie Interstellar, they have. It almost yeah. seems like a direct reference to it with the space stations they build in that, with the large arcologies and yeah, uh, and and zero g farms. Exactly, but, but I think I know where you're going with that. In, in one of the vistas, you can see a Disneyland style park. Yes, <laughs> isn't that crazy? So the future of Disney can go anywhere, and we'll talk about those from time to time. But um, let's start with this episode, and we're going to pick a spot. And do you have a recommended spot we can talk about? So I think the first spot we wanted to start with is let's let's break everybody's hearts, or maybe half the fandom's hearts, and the other half the fandom they'll be cheering us on and. We're going to completely bulldoze It's a Small World in the Magic Kingdom. And now we have that space to play with. Yes. So everybody everybody walk down Main Street, go through the castle, walk around the carousel, take a left, and you're standing in front of It's a Small World. It's, a, it's an attraction that's been there since opening day. It's a really cool attraction. It actually started at the 1964 World's Fair in New York. And it was uh, an attraction for UNICEF. So it raised a lot of money. It was actually a fundraiser when it started building. And sponsored by Pepsi, wasn't it? That was back when a lot of people associated Disney and Pepsi together in the 50s and 60s when it came to the the Disneyland Park and uh, the World's Fair. Nowadays, you just think of Coca-Cola. It's interesting to see how how they've shifted that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it was brought over to Disneyland mm-hmm. in their Fantasyland area, and then when they built the Magic Kingdom, it was one of the staple attractions in Disneyland in its own building. So it doesn't have an exterior um, clock facade, the Mary Blair facade, everybody's familiar with. But um, so we so it's a building, and that's what we're going to be dealing with. So what what we'll do is we'll actually try to imagine what we can do with that building. We can either change... Okay, so this isn't like in SimCity or in this analogy where we haven't bulldozed the building. You've got the building. We're going to gut it completely. We're taking the attraction out. For any purists, for any people who are about to ticket us or protest us, they're moving it to Epcot or maybe something like that. And then they're giving Jeff and Mark a chance to give us their pitch on what to replace there. Well, no, we can bulldoze the building if we want to. <laughs> if we want let's to. just make everybody mad <laughs> so any, anything goes seriously okay um a little bit about myself who i am i'm a product engineer product designer i've been designing products for 20 years and so this is what i do every single day i think of concepts and i, I bring them to reality once a day every day and it's really really interesting when you and when you do that when, when you're coming up with some ideas to 
address something that might work, you start with things that are very, very meager, and you start with some things that are very, very extreme and sometimes offensive. And what you'll do when you do that is you'll actually discuss, you know, you're going to throw it out. You know, you're not going to do it. But in, in the exercise, you'll actually think of things that are maybe useful for something else down the road. And so we can talk about that. So it, it is okay to go to these extremes if you'd like to. Let's do it. Yeah. Bring in the wrecking ball. be fun. It's a small world. And, and, and almost the an interesting inverse of your role as uh, I currently work as a financial services uh, technology product manager. So my job is to go to the marketplace, see what people are hungry for, what, what do they want sold to them, and to try to work with someone who's actually smart like you to, to build it. So in the old IBM world of managers and engineers, I'm the pointy haired boss who says, just, just make the magic happen inside the box. All right. <laughs> and everybody makes the magic. All right. Let's make the magic. Make the ones okay. and zeros do what they do. <laughs> okay. So what we'll do is I, I have two concepts. Do you have any concepts? I have a strong concept that I, that I want, that I want to focus on between your best concept and your second concept. Okay. Well, let's go through our strong concepts first. Uh, let's go. I'll go first. How about that? Okay. Okay. Um, so we have the building. We have the building. And so what we're going to do is we're going to actually reconcept the entire attraction. It's a small world is going away. Bye-bye. Now, lo- let me bookmark that statement for later in our show. Okay. So digest that in your mind first and um, find some acceptance because what we're going to do is fun. Now, one of my rules for this concept is that fantasy land must remain fantasy land and it must be made better and the attraction must itself must make fantasy land better so here's here's my idea is we keep much of the actual boat ride itself we keep the ramp pathway down to the loading area intact but we change everything else around it we take the the entire track layout as it is today and we bypass, we put a bypass in there and we reduce the whole boat ride to maybe just a little bit over a half of what it is right now. All right. Okay. So that's the structure. The theme, if you remember Sleeping Beauty's castle, who was the villain in Sleeping Beauty? I believe that was Maleficent. Maleficent, yes. And who was the princess? Princess Aurora. Princess Aurora, that's right. So these these are the characters of this attraction. The beginning of the attraction is focused on Aurora. So you're you're entering this fantasy realm that includes lots of nature, lots of grass, trees, willows, waterfalls, but also all these little all these little creatures that you've never seen in Fantasyland before. Things like little sprites and fairies and wood elves and um, pigs and porcupines and all these little things and they're all interacting and playing and leaping and jumping and aurora is there to have a conversation with them along the way and this is the boat ride but we're we're traveling along winding winding these paths and we see different little areas of her of her kingdom along the way her castle in the background things like that so it almost feels like like the the boat ride in Animal Kingdom. What was it called? 
Was it the Navi it, River Journey? It, yeah, it feels like that, except it's a little bit more expressive, a little lighter, a little fresher, and 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 it's pure fantasy all throughout. It, it is. Let a me ask. For, let me ask you yeah. a question here. Yeah. In the in the traditional original Disneyland Fantasyland attractions, there was a concept that the guest did not have related to them the best way possible. They did not understand that they themselves were supposed to put themselves as the protagonist. You are Snow White. You are Peter Pan. So that's why they don't appear in these attractions. Who is the audience? Is it just a passive observer? Are we uh, people in the kingdom that subjects? Are we seeking her out? Are we just, just completely invisible passive observers? We're passive observers, but we're probably subjects in that kingdom traveling along the way. We may even be some of the the, the fairies ourselves. So it's, it's whatever you want to be. Mm-hmm. And and what, what this is leading to is we're, we're, we're traveling along the river in this little, literally a fantasy land as, as we as we trug along. And the, the journey becomes just a little bit darker along the way. Every turn you take, there's something a little bit more sinister the deeper you go and the the end of this the end of this journey takes us to a much darker place much darker rooms you know more purples more blacks more all of more dark lights all of that and it almost becomes a dark attraction not enough to completely scare the kids but just enough <laughs> now, not on the snow white scary adventures level but something a little a little tingle up maybe the spine a, little. a little maybe that far maybe a little further here's why if you remember the area of the boat ride, today's a small world, just before it leads into the um, exit area, mm-hmm. where, where it has the sign of all the languages of goodbye, mm-hmm. that becomes a new drop-off area right there, just hidden away from the entrance area, just, just around the corner where you can't see it. This is where, this is the new exit. So guests will disembark the boats, and they'll they'll be within a castle at that point. And they'll they'll walk some other ramps to get to a different area. Now this is where we, we may have to actually build the building out just a little bit. Because what we're going to experience next, remember what you just talked about, about beca- about being the character, about becoming the character? Mm-hmm. Suddenly you're Maleficent herself. And the the mechanics of the attraction changes exactly to the same thing that is used for the um the other pandora attraction the flight of passage yes and in four separate rooms giant screens you mount a device where you become maleficent i don't want to say you mount maleficent that's not a good idea no <laughs> but you become you have wings you have horns Maybe you have some glasses that have little horns off the side of them. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. You wear that. You put on the glasses and you, you receive her visions. Yes. You you receive her, you receive her, her, I want to say her evilness, but you, you can, you can feel her power because you are her power now and you're going to take flight. So now we're going to take flight. Now we are in your attraction here. We're becoming the villain. Are becoming the villain right after where we just witnessed the the princess and now let me ask it, you something your little your little drop-off area where we now walk into this ramp inside maybe this moldy looking 
you know, castle dungeon. Is there maybe a, a, a little exit there for the chickens or for the little ones that like, you know what, yeah. we just want to take them on the boat ride. Uh, you know, my wife, Mary Ellen, she always says she wants a lever installed in Splash <laughs> Mountain so that when you get to the last drop, if the majority rules like old school horizons, if everyone decides, let's just skip that big drop and they all pull that lever, then uh, it would it would bypass the lift hill and just go around to the celebration. It's a brilliant idea. It's right there. It would be very convenient <laughs> to do that. Yes, I agree with that. But wouldn't it be really nice to have an attraction that has two experiences in one attraction and both of them to be almost extreme? And there's there's nothing like the flight of passage anywhere else in the world except Animal Kingdom. And it's, it's a great mechanism. It's a great ride concept. And if you applied that to the Magic Kingdom and, and, may, and had other people experience something like that that may not want to try the Pandora experience, try this one and really plus up Fantasyland, that would be something really spectacular. It's going next generation. It's, it's putting a, what I would say is a very reliable system from being a Disney World local. And that's one of the perspectives I can help bring. I know you, you, you come here pretty often and you, you've also lived here though, but uh, flight of passage is a very reliable attraction. Uh, since, and I would say since uh, uh, galaxy's edge opened, it doesn't have necessarily the two hour waits. It used to have maybe an hour or so, but it's a, it's a big draw. And as someone who has never seen James, James Cameron's avatar film, I love Pandora and I love that attraction. And, and just imagine if you take something that has a little bit more cultural resonance and put it in fantasy land, like you said, put a killer e-ticket attraction like that. It's, it needs it. Fantasy it does. Land needs an e-ticket attraction, and this would be fantastic for that. The building is one of the largest buildings in the Magic Kingdom, and it can house a lot of these things. And you could, if you had to add to it a little bit to to implement this it would it would not be too much of a big deal i could even see if you look how they sort of uh grafted soren onto the land building and when you have the, especially yeah. that third theater when you leave the third theater and you go you have to walk through all these winding corridors and almost underneath the land before you come back out the exit it's it's pretty amazing and if you instead theme that not to show just carpeted walls and travel posters but imagine it's uh, rickety old dungeon and leaks yeah. and skeletons and things like that. To me, if you had to build, like I said, like that tunnel to get behind the building and build the theater there, that just adds yeah. to the experience. Yeah. You look through an attic window and you see the, the spinning wheel sitting there. Glowing yeah. You have to have, you have to have reference to that. Yeah. So that's my idea. Maleficent. I like it. Maleficent and Aurora in the same, and you get, you keep some, you keep a lot of the structure, you keep the boat ride. So there's a little bit of small world nostalgia that remains. And we'll talk about that bookmark later in the show. Let's come back to that. Okay. So so when we originally decided to, to do this podcast, I think this was the first real idea that you had in mind. I knew you had a really strong concept for this and I struggled with mine at first. I really did. And I racked my brain and I said, okay, go back, look at the Walt Disney classics of animation. What are some of your favorites? What would you want to see there from my perspective? And I, as a kid, I loved the Pinocchio movie. And I thought about that for a second is Disneyland has a, uh, fantasy land Pinocchio attraction, but all magic kingdom ever got in regards to Pinocchio was a Jiminy cricket meet and greet. 
And the, the restaurant that now serves dissatisfying flatbread pizzas. And I used to joke, I used to say as a kid, when I was writing, it's a small world. And you look up and see all the people inside Pinocchio's village house and you can see the meeting. I said, Ooh, man, there's nothing fancier, nothing more than the, the height of luxury than you been sitting up there and waving to everybody as they float by. So I said, okay, if I'm given carte blanche, if I'm said, reimagine the space, I want a Pinocchio attraction. And like it would it. be really easy just to say, copy what they did in Disneyland, put it in Magic Kingdom and call it a day. And then all the Disneyland devotees would say the original is better. Uh, but I, I want to go something a little different. So first, I'm going to start with the name of the attraction. I struggled with this. Jiminy Cricket's Conscience Guides. Huh. You start okay. off, you go, you go into the entrance, which is all going to be a reimagined, reimagined space. And you go inside Geppetto's workshop and you see the blue fairy who in a pre-show room, she comes to you in a group. Let's say that you let in a group of 16 to 20 people each, very similar to how, so we're uh, and I'm very, I'm very impressed to how rise of the resistance has incorporated pre-shows and the queue experience as part of the attraction. Yes. When I see people online who, who chafe at waiting in line for attractions, I I've never had a problem waiting for an attraction. If it's a highly themed environment, if there's interesting things to look at and if there's something going on. And so I love that metering out of the pre-shows I've always going back to flight of passage. I've never used a fast pass for it except once. And I was disappointed because you don't get to go through the, the science facility, the, the jungle, uh, the, the laboratory. You don't get to see the avatar and the, the mineral bath. It's you miss so much. Yeah. You have to enter that realm and, and experience that feeling. Yeah. If you're just trying to, if you're just trying to be like a six flags and use an express pass to get on the next item and next item, uh, I really like, and they, they did, uh, Disney Imagineering did say when they recently revamped the Peter Pan's flight queue, that they wanted to put something in that standby queue that was a, a unique experience that the Fast Pass people didn't get to sort of encourage a person or at least incentivize them to try it once. And, and I, just... I have to say, it works very well. You're right about this. This yeah. is a great idea. Yeah. So you go and you see the Blue Fair. And, and part of what I think attractions need to start doing, or I think is going to be part of the next generation of it is the customization of making you part of the attraction. I like what you said about yours is you're going to become Maleficent. But in, in my vision of this attraction, just like when you go onto test track and you design your ride vehicle, I love going to the main test track line and designing the ride vehicle. I actually think that interface is fun. You play with it. You can make, crazy, ridiculous vehicles. My problem with it is it doesn't actually affect any of the ride experience. You get some performance stats based on one of the four attributes that you chose, whether it was power, efficiency, or braking, but it doesn't physically change anything about the attraction. Right. You, you well, travel you... the same speed across the whole round. Everything is the same. Exactly. Now I'm gonna now I'm gonna tell ask you this: Have you ever seen the ride footage, or, or you may have actually been on the Pirates of the Caribbean ride in Shanghai Disneyland? Yes, I've done this attraction. 
you know how the Jack Sparrow transforms from a skeleton to a to Johnny Depp? Yes. That that amazing effect. Dig this. When you're with the Blue Fairy, she takes you to a magical screen or mirror of some sort, and you will design your conscience for the ride. You're going to pick his hat. You're going to pick, what is he? Is he a cricket? Is it a squirrel? Is it a uh, a cat? You pick what animal. You pick what outfit he's wearing. Does he have a big bow tie? Is he got... Uh, top hat and tails, and it's going to have all these different customizable features. But beyond just the the visuals and combinations there, you'll also pick his attributes. Is he brave? Is he intelligent? Is he cautious? Uh, is he a worry wart? Is, uh, you're going to have several different options there. This is very when cool. You, you know, the interface of doing this, you could inter- introduce new technologies that's touchless. No, oh no yeah. You could just say swipe left, swipe right, or, or, or put them in, yeah, give them, reach. you could just have the kid say, I want him to have a big silly hat. And it picks one of the five random silly hats it has. Yeah. Or just reach out, pretend your arm is grabbing something and it moves just seeing the hand. Or I, I just even had a different idea. You're in Geppetto's workshop. You could even point to different toys and puppets that he has in there to sort of pick and choose different parts. But regardless how you put your conscience together, this is now the conscience that's going to be linked to your ride vehicle. So you, you ask, you ask people how many in your party, two people in your party, four people in your party, those groups will pick someone, probably the kid, but if not, it might be some pushy adult who will be designing the conscience for their ride vehicle. Wow. When you do that and then get to your ride vehicle, you scan your magic band or your QR code or whatever we're using at this point, And you get in your vehicle. When you go through the ride and it would be a Pinocchio style experience. You have, you know, the, your typical story, he's going to school and then he joins Stromboli's um, stage show. And then he goes to pleasure Island and he gets swallowed by monster of the whale there's going to be subtle and extreme differences in the ride attraction based on the characteristics of the conscience you created Interesting. and randomized sequences. So think of like star tours where on one ride you could go to Hoth and Coruscant and on a different ride, you go to uh, Naboo and uh, the death star. So your, your conscience will be a character in the show scenes and imagine an animatronic that's covered in LEDs. And just like that Jack Sparrow effect, when you see the conscience in your story, it's the one you designed. He actually comes to life. He's in the ride. And that was your character. Who's helping Pinocchio make his choices. And because of that, you would, you could have branching paths. It's would be like a trackless ride vehicle system. And remember the, the fake out in the Indiana Jones ride, where it looks like you could go down one of three different paths, but you really just go down one. Yeah. Uh, even if it's just one track, your car gets different experiences. So different effects will trigger and different story elements will occur based on that appearance and personality 
of your Jiminy Cricket conscience. Yeah, the show and, building is so large, you could actually have alternate paths that cross throughout for the different show scenes. That you yeah, and then the idea it. is so that when people realize this, then you want them to know this so they get off the ride and say, oh, that was so great. Let's go again, but we got to do a totally different type of conscience. We got to have the, we got to do the brave one. We got to do the intelligent yeah. one. And Yeah, and after the first time, they may not know that it goes different the second time until they do it, and they're like, whoa. That's not exactly. what I saw the first time. What happened? <laughs> then they go a and third then, time to figure out how it works. Again, just like me, I always think of the bottom line and what's the killer merchandise. And just like I said, you have these customizable consciences. Is that the plural? Consci- uh, conscience guides, <laughs> we'll call them. Yes. The the When you exit through the gift shop, there is a conscience build a bear type setup that you you scan you you let them see okay what was your build and a cast member can put that or even a machine can put that together in just a couple of seconds oh here it is and then oh mommy i have to have that that's the one i built look look he's got the purple hat and everything so yeah and it could actually work for both jiminy cricket and pinocchio because if 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 pinocchio's conscious changes that changes pinocchio and you could have a, a that's and that to me is the different the different uh, adventures. So like you could yeah. choose the intelligent one, but then you missed the Stromboli scene. Well, you didn't go join the circuit. You didn't, you didn't yeah. go become a performer because he was smart. So you nice. end up going to school. Well, we just saw a boring school scene. I don't want to see that. Yeah. So he's you can. It's almost it's almost counterintuitive. Where if you make a troublemaker conscience, you may get more extreme and and humorous scenes. Yeah, and then just like in the um, Galaxy's Edge, after you know the Millennium Falcon, <laughs> the Smuggler's Run. When you when you go into the um, the bar, I'm sorry, I've not been to Galaxy's Edge before. But when you go to Ogo's Cantina, yep, is, isn't there an experience where if you if you had some sort of outcome on the Millennium Falcon, you have a certain response in that restaurant? Uh, that there's there's an alleged component to that, and mm-hmm. I do know that like. When I fly Smuggler's Run, you get you get the different outcomes. And just an aside about Smuggler's Run. And I was actually talking to a mutual friend of ours about this attraction today. I'm a huge fan of it. I think I might be one of the biggest fans of Smuggler's Run. And I don't know if it's been as warmly received by the overall community. There's a lot of competitive gamer types that when when they go on it and they're stuck in the engineer or gunner seat, and they're with another party that put a toddler in the uh, pilot seat and they can, compl- oh, we just crashed the whole time. We didn't get all three coaxiums. I got to tell you, it's more fun to crash. It's better <laughs> to, to have a little kid who's in the pilot seat and he's crashing and all the effects are going off. And when you get to the very end, uh, Hondo tells you that, oh my goodness, all the repairs of the Falcon. And then when you leave the cockpit, the exit area will will have more battle damage and frayed <laughs> wires and explosions going off and the you hear the the that Star Wars fire alarm going off that er, er, so I just <laughs> I love that I don't have a problem with that yeah. uh, I don't need I don't need to get all sixteen thousand credits but there was supposed to be some sort of game component to that but I've never seen it in action nor have I heard it reported in action I have a suspicion with the resort coming online and the the day excursion guests that's where you're going to see that really play out yeah i, I thought of, i brought it up because you know you could have some added experience in the village house um restaurant beside it when you 
when you finish the ride and maybe go in there for, for some chicken strips or whatever you want, <laughs> you know, if, if one of your options in, in your, in your experience on the ride was that let's just say Pinocchio became a donkey and couldn't get out of that state. <laughs> he was permanently a donkey. You know, you, you may, you could see something like that come out in the restaurant somehow. He's like, well, that'd be Oh, by the yeah. way, Pinocchio is still a donkey or I don't know. But <laughs> same, same concept that they're, they're tried or they, they, they conceived of in Galaxy's Edge could be attempted there. Something like you could extend that through the park somehow. So I think but, that's a great idea. I, I think you know, adds, I've always been a fan of, of, of ways to make uh, this might be more of the locals perspective. The person that goes to the parks two, three times a month uh, to have a desire to have different things changed up. I remember when they f- first changed star tours to star tours, the adventure continues which then had all the variable scenes. And I just, that was a detraction when I was in college. I rode the Endor Express a hundred times all throughout college. And I loved every single time. But the idea that now uh, it has multiple different random scenes, and I believe it even uses like slot machine style technology to make sure it's, there's no cast member that can guarantee, hey, you're going to get the Death Star one here. No, they don't know what's, what's coming up. It's all randomized. Yeah. That's, you know, that was something that Michael Eisner demanded of Imagineering when he came on board. He was, he was not too intrigued with building attractions that had permanent fixtures within. He wanted them to change, and he wanted them to change often. So the Imagineers had to conceive of ways to allow them to change often. And, you know, Star Tours and the Body Wars are one of the first attractions to attempt that. So a lot of the things that we see today are yeah, but the original Star that. Tours opened in what eighty seven in Disneyland yeah. and didn't change until two thousand five. Yeah, but it was built to change. Yeah. So that yeah, that was the advantage of it. I think they converted. Is it Tokyo's is now an Iron Man? No, it's Hong Kong. Yeah, Iron Hong Man Kong now has the Iron Man uh, attraction. Yeah. So personally, I don't like that. I think that I think Imagineer should work hard to build permanent fixtures and change them and invest in that. I think this, to me that's better. Um, but sometimes when you when you have when you're called to use screens and things like that, and I know a lot of people, you know, they they, they cringe at the word screens and they spell it with a letter Z at the end of it, <laughs> just to spite the word. Um, I think it could be done right. You know, I think when it's when it's used in in, in, in intriguing places and hidden places, and when you frame it right, it it, it can work. And I think that attraction, there's places where that it can work. And I think even in the in the in the river ride at Pandora, I think they do a good job there. When I was at, at Shanghai Disney, they had it in the castle, you get to walk through the castle and there's a, a whole storytelling experience inside the castle. It's it's actually called Storybook Castle. And there's a there's a scene in there with um, Snow White at the wishing well. And the way the the way the scene is built and crafted and sculpted is up to the surface of a display where Snow White is doing her action. And at first glance, you have to, you have to say, oh, that's a display. So it's not, it's not very obvious. And I think that's a really, really good application of that. The more they do stuff like that, the more I can adopt it. I think there's always going to be an inherent vermicillitude to animatronic characters. Um, there's always the, the, the joke about, 
robots and AI and the uncanny valley. But I think there's something that really appeals to it's all ages, but especially kids. There's something special about an audio animatronic performance that just really, I think it really activates a child's imagination that I don't have a problem with screens in and of themselves, yeah. or especially when they're used to help facilitate an environment. You put yes. physical props and scenes in a room with screens, and then you get you can get some amazing combinations. Yes. I, my opinion is that if these flat panel displays with high definition and you know, millions of colors and great backlighting, if those had existed back in the 50s, Walt Disney would have really used them a lot. <laughs> I think oh, of he course, would, he would absolutely have. It would have put it would have put it in the, the the windows of the of the yeah. original tiki room. Would have had yeah. all of that. Just I, I sometimes laugh now at the at the effects of the uh, the wind and the rain back there when, when I'm in there because now they could do so much more. In fact, even in the Grog Grotto, they 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 have more next gen type effects of that same kind of uh, yeah. effect. So your attraction has. A great walkthrough experience, a great setup experience, great ride experience. Now, these vehicles are be similar to maybe what you see at Mickey and Minnie's Railway, and I would say I would say the the I would say my ride vehicle would be maybe more similar to the Rise of the Resistance or the Remy's Ratatouille Adventure, probably even closer okay. to that because I was cool. looking to, for groups of two to four. Uh, I, the idea that a party's conscience is active with them. So if you had two separate parties in a vehicle, what are they going to have two warring consciences? So that that's a little difficulty of the ride itself. So I was thinking keeping it as, as small as possible, but I was thinking I kind of aired there. Okay. We'll say groups of four. Yeah. Um, it, it even could be such a thing as the, the people sitting on the left, see one character and the people sitting on the right, see another or, or front row, back row. Um, even even maybe there could be an experience there to be had where you you load one row forward facing, another row backwards facing, and you get a different experience that way. I think that would be a great addition to the Magic Kingdom, having that te- that technology. <laughs> you know, you kind of see it right now with the Winnie the Pooh's Mini Adventures. Kind of, it's, it's still tracked, but the, the the vehicle does weeble and wobble and you know, travel in the water a little bit. It's, it's I, I actually think that water effect where you're, where you're, where you're supposed to be floating through is, is underrated. Yeah. And I, I and I wonder if like an effect like that is more desired in the future. When I think of the, of the rides Disney's built in the last 30 years, I think of like uh Disney sea has a 20,000 leagues under the sea attraction, but you don't go underwater. It's all an effect of you right. being underwater. So you don't have to deal with the maintenance issues and the safety issues regarding uh, an actual submerged attraction. So that would be nice. I like it. Well, okay. what was your, we got a few minutes left. What was your, uh, your second pitch for the a Disney space? Uh, it's a small world in Walt Disney world. You're, we were taking okay. it out and we're replacing it. You remember how I said one of my rules is that we actually nuke the building and replace it. Yep. I'm going to go one step worse. <laughs> You're going to hate oh, this. Oh boy. I'm going to nuke the building and we're not going to replace it. If you if you look at Google and remember, we have a bookmark coming up after these discussions, so I'm going to save that bookmark. All but right. if you if you go to Google Earth and you look at the map of the Magic Kingdom, the satellite map, you'll notice that the that the 
Pinocchio's village house is connected kind of at an angle to this very, very large building that is the, um, the small world, it's a small world show building, which is, which is an alleyway um, east of the Haunted Mansion show building. Right next door. Yeah. And it's kind of a two-level building because of the, the utilidors underneath. So if you get rid of that building, it sort of goes downhill a little bit. But if you look behind each of these buildings, there's a very large open wood space. There's, there's a, like a little alleyway and a little service building, but there's a lot of trees that's on the inside of the Walt Disney World Railroad to the north. And you have the Rivers of America to the west. And that would be a really, really good spot for a brand new extended land right there that I think we can hold in reserve for another show. So you're talking about if you're riding on the Walt Disney World Railroad, which is a beloved attraction of mine that's been gone for years now, hopefully it would be back soon, <laughs> you would go past the uh, the Native American village and on your left would be uh, water retention way. But on the right is a, like you said, a heavily wooded area. Uh, to the, uh, to the east of it is a retention pond. Uh, but like you said, that is a, that is a, that is a patch of earth that you could easily fit. Let's see most of fantasy land. You could copy in there. How at least half of Tomorrowland. It's it, yeah. You could definitely do something interesting back there. It's about the size of Liberty square, I would say. And if you, if you take out the show building of it's a small world, you have a lot of space right there. To, to sort of start the path, bring it back and forth. Cause I think you'd have to come in and out of that space, sort of like the, the Muppets area of the studios. And there's, there's a lot you could do right there, I think. But I think, I think we really have to think about our bookmark that we're going to talk about later on mm -hmm. to, to allow that to be digestible. Cause I think a lot of people are throwing tomatoes at their, at their podcast <laughs> devices right now. That's all right. <laughs> saying get rid of it's a small world in the magic kingdom. Are you nuts? I think, and I think with uh, we're going to probably play in Disney World spaces more than Disneyland, at least at first. Yeah. And I think part of the reason you can get away with that is, other than Country Bear Jamboree, was there anything that opened in the Magic Kingdom that opened there first? Uh, I guess I think our Space Mountain was was first by two years, um, but that's really more analogous to the uh, Matterhorn experience in terms of ride system. There is, but I can't think of any of it. There absolutely is. I can't think of I can't think of anything. Of, oh, well, the Hall of Presidents. That yeah. that's another. But that's analogous yes. to Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln. Sort right. of the sequel there. Yeah. And then the the, uh, the Return of the Jedi version would be American Adventure. Oh, and there's a lot we could do in that pavilion as well. Yeah, I mean, I think the there's things in Tomorrowland that that came first, but it's it's not opening day. Nothing iconic yeah. that, you can, that you can think of. So that's why I feel like, especially with Magic Kingdom, you can get away with uh, doing something like, well, we're getting rid of its small world or we're getting rid of, its, of Jungle Cruise because you can always say, well, they still have the original in Disneyland. Yeah. And that's what this pod, that's what the show is for, is to think of those things that are, are rather extreme. Disney will never do it. But if they were to do it, what, what sort of pluses can we get out of it? And what can we do with what, what's left over? And that's 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 worth discussion, I think. I like. It. I can't wait to, to to discuss your bookmark idea further. I also want to do a show eventually in the future about seasonal overlays, 
uh, like like a Nightmare Before Christmas style transformation to Disneyland's Haunted Mansion. What else could we do with a concept like that? And, to, and what attractions would it or something like that work? Yeah, they're, I know they're talking about Muppets in the Haunted Mansion. Hasn't that come up? Uh, I well, the Muppets are now in a weird state. There, I think they're actually underneath the Imagineering domain, and they're they're trying to use the Muppets now to promote the parks. The Muppets are having a Disney Plus special about the. They're calling it Muppet Haunted Mansion. I think they okay. actually filmed in Disneyland's Haunted Mansion. Maybe that's it. That Let's looks exciting. Ahead. Yeah. Okay. And hey, that's another idea: bringing in film crews and and creating, uh, you know streaming content feature content that's based on the actual attractions these are absolutely you know the disney attractions are are designed and built by really by filmmakers and animators not by they 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 didn't get architects they got people that designed hollywood sets and know things like mm-hmm. forced perspective and tricks like that so you know they did that in the early days of epcot there was a show on the disney channel called epcot magazine hosted by michael young mm-hmm and it was really kind of a deep dive into the sciences and technologies and travels. And it was kind of just like a segment by segment show. Very educational. I was a young teenager when I first saw it and it really drew me in. It really made me excited about not just Epcot, but everything that was new in the world. So yeah, that's, that's been done before and you could bring things like that back and do things just like that. Yeah. Okay. What's your concept? So my, uh, uh, my, I really didn't have a secondary concept for It's a Small World uh, other than I, I just want to – I really love the idea of if we're going to repurpose the space to, to transport the attraction to somewhere in Epcot. And I, I actually like – I think you had the idea of yeah, putting is, it this is, this is behind our the Germany mark. show building. Yes, this is our bookmark. If you look at the Germany building, I think a lot of people know this. There is existing space behind there, and there's actually doorways to it. An entire boat show space for a boat for what was going to be a Rhine River ride, mm-hmm. Rhine River experience in, in Germany. They never built it, but the space is there. It's occupied space right now, and I think that would I think World Showcase in general would be a, a fantastic place to put. It's a small world. Just because of what it is, it's a, it's about all the countries of the world. What better place to put it than World Showcase? And if we chose Germany as its host pavilion, you could actually—I think they would have to add to that space. I think they would have to build out some more behind it to fit it all oh, in. Oh, probably, there. yeah. It's, it's, a, it's sort of a short ride, but it's there now. But wouldn't that just be something to add? Not just to add to Germany, but to give it really that sort of alpine feel to it on the on the outside well there is there is something kind of germanic about it like i think of the uh the 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 um the the cuckoo clocks that are that are they're on sale there in the german pavilion always love looking at those and how elaborate they are and there is something about it's a small world that is like a large cuckoo clock going off it's it's kind of noisy it's a little annoying but it's cute Uh enough to get away with it (laughs) yeah and that's what i mean that i think it would adopt very well in Germany because of those aspects of it. You know, you could also put it where the Millennium Village is now. You could put it where Equatorial Africa was going to go. Maybe maybe give it kind of an, an an African type of feel to it, something that it hasn't had before, just a new a new imagined theme to it a little bit. That would be something, maybe so, a different perspective. Yeah. I, I actually always thought the um, 
the Odyssey building, which is currently being used as a preview center for the changes of Epcot. But I don't really see that ever being a real bustling food restaurant in the future, especially now with uh, Space 220 coming online. Yeah. So I thought you know, that's a space I'd really like to get my hands on. Yeah. It's a small world in Epcot. So guys, when we say we're going to nuke the building in the Magic Kingdom, <laughs> we're not getting rid of it. We want to move it to Epcot. I think that would be a fabulous idea. It would benefit both Epcot and the Magic Kingdom. And I, I think it fits. I, I really do. And again, no one can complain because the original is still in Disneyland. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So what, what, what really do you think will happen with It's a Small World over the long term? Is it a permanent attraction forever? Or do you think it may change? You know, everyone always whips out the Mr. Disney quote about the parks are not museums and they're always changing. Um, I, think to, I think of my personal experiences with the park and try to relate those to everyone else. It It's such a cornerstone attraction. When you, when you say I'm going to Disneyland or I'm going to Disney world in pop culture, people will start singing that song and they'll, they'll think about the little dolls going on and on dressed in all the different outfits. And it's, it's so iconic and family friendly and really has a, a genuinely positive message. The Sherman brothers said the song is a prayer for peace uh, amidst the cold war, when you really think of the, of what that means and, uh, the, you know, the doom of mutual assured destruction hanging over the world. I, I think it's a really positive thing that's there. And I've always kind of bristled when I hear people who say that that song annoys them. Now, granted the, the, the exit queue can back up sometimes. And if you're stuck in the final room for, 20 minutes. Yeah. Okay. That does get annoying, but <laughs> no, I think, I think it's overall a, a positive experience. And I, I think of like Ghostbusters too, where they had the mood slime and they had to negatively or positively charge it. I think there's a positive charge you get when you come off that attraction. And I think like haunted mansion, like um, Peter Pan's flight, I think these are cornerstone attractions that probably won't go anywhere. I think attractions like Tomorrowland Speedway or the Monsters Inc. Laugh Floor or um, even Winnie the Pooh, which I want to have some serious discussions about Winnie the Pooh in that location in Magic Kingdom. Uh, we'll add that to the Disney Space list. That'll yeah, be sure, the, we're, sure we're going to have a real extensive list and we want to keep doing this uh, weekly. So, uh, if you're listening to us, we're, we're going to try to get this out on September 17th. That's a Friday. We want to keep a regular schedule of new episodes every Friday, at least an hour of us having these conversations. So we want to thanks again for listening. Um, I don't for, I, I didn't even plug my own thing, even though I, I rarely yeah. do it anymore. Uh, but I am one of the two hosts of a husband and wife team, Jeff and Mary Ellen. We host WDW Scope. It's a live streaming uh, vlog, currently exclusive on Twitter. You can follow us at WDW Scope. Uh, and the answer to everyone's question is no, we're not on YouTube. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're always looking for more. Uh, we were on the Periscope platform for quite some time. Which and, I miss. Uh, I miss that. Periscope I was really fun. It was 
instant. It, it, you could, you could, we could have done this podcast on Periscope if, sure. if that still existed. Uh, and I probably would have just done it that way. It just made its own account. Uh, but we still have a lot of fun going out to Disney World. So you can catch us on Twitter, on Instagram, WDW. That stands for Walt Disney World. And it was scope as in Periscope. But now it's just scope as in, hey, we're scoping it out. Um, but I just ordered the new DJI Osmo Mobile 5, the motion stabilizer. So that's my recommitment into doing more in-park live streaming. I can't wait to see that. Oh, I appreciate it, man. Yeah, I think I think we're a good yin and yang. Um, you're you go to Disney, you go to the parks frequently, recently, so you've you've been there in the past several years. Um, I started I, my first time with the park was in 1972. I was See, young, I can't beat that. <laughs> I was a young baby, <laughs> um, so we we went every year from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. So I got to witness the the very early generational growth and introduction of everything. I have vivid memories of the magic magic kingdom before epcot was dirt <laughs> so um i think we have that type of th- this is a good contribution for coming up with disney space ideas is thinking in, on those two terms recent and old uh, a little bit about myself i i am a um, again i'm a product engineer i do a mm-hmm. lot of product design and development i've written a book on product development and that's what i would like to plug it's it's called the simplified development process. You can find it on Amazon. Look for simplified development process by Mark Thompson. And my Twitter site is at six miles tall. That's number six miles tall. And that's what and that's a reference to Mr. Walt Disney was giving his Epcot pitch and he was showing the the map of Disney World. He was relating that he would be six miles tall on that map. That's correct. He put a stick up to the top of his head and stood straight up and tall and said, I am six miles tall. So that means Walt Disney. And nobody took that Twitter site address, so it was available. I took it. Aha. Uh-huh. I like it. Yeah. Well, right, thanks again for show. listening. And if, if, if anyone has any uh, suggestions, ideas, uh, pitches, they want us to you know give us spaces that you want us to reimagine. Um, we're going to be publishing this on multiple different podcast uh, formats. I know I'm going to be promoting this on my personal Twitter. Mark, you probably will as well. We'll have a Twitter account for the podcast itself. I already set that up. So you can probably send us messages or tweets there as well. If you've got any feedback, if you think our ideas are silly, uh, if you don't like the cuts of our jib, uh, just let us know. (laughs) Do you know the, um, our Twitter address? It is. Go back up. This is our first show, guys. We have to go look to yeah. see what it is. It is at Disney Space Pod. At Disney Space Pod. Very so that good. is the Disney Space is a um, reimagining spaces in Walt Disney World, Disneyland, and spaces beyond. And we have a email address as well that we could give out. Oh, let's do it. Yeah, it's the same thing at gmail.com, isn't it? Disney Space Pod at gmail.com. You know what? I believe you're right. Yeah. So what, what I would actually like to recommend, too, is that if any of our listeners have ideas for what they would like to see with It's a Small World, go ahead and send it to us. We'll take a look. Maybe we'll give you a mention on the next show. 
Yeah, and, and um, we're thinking about having special guests on. So if you want to come on and give us your pitches, just let us know. Yeah. So we have to set up next week. We have a Disney space for next week, and I want you to think about two concepts for this space. Do you remember Flight to the Moon? I do. Have you ever, have you ever experienced Flight to the Moon? Well, actually, I never experienced Flight to the Moon, but I do remember Mission to Mars. Now I'm told that I experienced flight to moon, flight to the moon, but I think I was asleep in a stroller, but I was there. So yes, next it was Mission to Mars, and then it was um, alien extraterrestrial encounter. encounter. Yes, and then and Stitch's um, was Stitch's it, Great uh, Escape. Was that was that was that the name of the attraction? Or is it the movie was Lilo and Stitch? Okay, yeah, Stitch's Great yeah. Escape. Stitch Encounter. Yeah, the stitch, which, which, regardless of whatever you feel about the stitch attraction, the animatronics in there were really impressive. Yeah, I agree. The uh, the chili dog breath I could have done without, but the uh, the tracking lasers and the stitch uh, creature, top notch. They were very convincing. <laughs> even as <laughs> even as a grown man, I was quite nervous about the whole encounter. I, I think coming, that's just having those to get chairs me. clamped down on your shoulders. That's that's yeah. the. Uh... I, I went to bed at the Caribbean Beach Resort, and there the alien was on the ceiling, ready to come jump at me. Oh, okay. <laughs> so this space actually is not used today. So this is this will be a really great space to talk about because yeah, just certain... just just the initial queue portion is occasionally used for meet and greets and uh, candy distribution during Halloween events. Yeah, and certainly. In the halls of Imagineering, even though those halls are about to move, they are, they are reimagining the space. You can you can bet on that. So it will turn into something someday. But let's imagine to see what we might turn it into. And we'll do that next week. I'm going to put my melon to it. Yeah. Mark, thanks again. And thanks, you all, to listening to Disney Space. Thanks, Jeff.